Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build purpose-driven organizations and purpose-driven life. We're going to talk about mindset and mental models, actionable tactics, such that you can go on and build your own purpose-driven life. My name is CK Lin. I've been a medical engineering PhD from UCLA. I've been a director of the UC system. I've been a technology startup executive. I've been an executive coach for startup founders, philosophers, entrepreneurs. I'm on a quest to find out what it takes to build a purpose-driven life. My next guest, he invented a game when he was 26 years old, waiting tables that turned into a best-selling game of all times, over 30 million units in 60 countries. He's the inventor of Pictionary. He's the author of the book, Game Changer. Please welcome Rob Angel. Thank hey. you so much for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. Rob, let me start off by an easy question. How was box breathing for you? <laughs> box breathing was great. I've done it before many times, and I find all of the breathing and whatever is box or even just hold my breath for two minutes. It's all good. It feels good. I found that to be a great way to start a podcast because a lot of times people are frazzled and then you come oh, from yeah. wherever they come from to really drop in. So I found that to be actually pivotal. So I just finished your book, Game Changer. I really find it to be an inspiring story. And thank you so much for sharing a lot of the details. Because a lot of times when book authors write something, they just highlight the beautiful things. I just did this, did this, did this, da-da. Always of money made in my bank account and look at my beautiful life. But I really appreciate you going to the nuance of some of the pivotal moments. But one thing that I really get is from a very young age, you love adventures from pole vaulting to Burning Man to starting a, 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 a big game company. So tell us a little bit about your favorite adventures right now. <laughs> Boy, you mentioned Burning Man. That is one of my new favorite adventures. I actually did even a little mini burn since they're not having it. But Burning Man is great. I was ready for it. I was invited for 10 years by people ready, wanting me to go. Whatever reason, I wasn't ready, didn't want to go, found excuses. And then one year, about seven years ago, eight years ago, I ran into a couple. And I literally looked at them after knowing them for three seconds. I go, I think I'm supposed to go to Burning Man with you. And six weeks later, I'm a Burning Man. And it was magical. It was what everything I wanted. And at this point, I was everything I needed. And it started it out, started out my journey, not only with myself, but with Burning Man. So, so paint us a picture, right? We're looking at Burning Man through your eyes. Tell us the Burning Man that you love. They're about this big. Yeah, it was everything and more. I saw things and people I'd never seen before. I felt things coming at me that I'd never felt before. I was open to everything. That's one of the things I'd always talk about is being open. And sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. When I got to Burning Man, I was ready to experience you know, pretty much everything. And if I didn't want to, I wouldn't. And so it was a little overwhelming, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the vastness of it, the, the inclusion of it, the ability to be really anything and anyone you want it to be. Because we talk about it in society and they pat you on the head and say, you can do and be anything you want. Society still has norms that you have to conform to. 
And same thing with Burning Man. But when I was there, it just opened my eyes and my heart and my mind uh, and my ears to what was possible. It, it just was overwhelming. And it stuck, it stuck with me. Yeah. So I'm a PhD guy, right? It can be as material as you can be. If I couldn't see it, measure it, it didn't exist. And then I went to Burning Man. I had a spiritual awakening moment. And to me, Burning Man is a very spiritual experience. What's beautiful about what you said is there's something to say about anything is possible, but there's something to actually see it. Because at Burning Man, all of the social constructs are wiped out, right? They didn't care about what you do or your quote unquote gender or, you know, who you are, your garb. You can create a whole new identity while you're burning man so you can actually experiment with different things and try on different perspectives and as you said try on different senses is there a specific moment when i mentioned about burning man that was a really beautiful uh fond memory that you have from burning man besides losing my bike you can go there if you want yeah no it wasn't lost a lot going on I, yeah yeah for some reason i just keep going back to this this one moment my first burn and I got lost, which happens, and I'm out in the playa and I'm by myself, which is not that big a deal, but I want to get back to camp and everything's swirling around me and it's a whiteout and I'm just kind of standing there and I think I've lost everybody. I've lost my tribe. I don't know what to do. They've gone off somewhere and I started getting nervous, even though I knew I shouldn't be, I was. And so I, in the middle of a sandstorm, I close my eyes and I just put my head down and I take a couple of breaths and all of a sudden, the word home comes to my mind. And it was this, this overwhelming feeling of that's where I should be. And I got on my bike and made my way back to the camp. And that's where everybody was. And it was just this, for me, powerful moment at the end, actually it was the end of Burning Man, that I could communicate that way and I could feel that. And finally I was open and everything that I needed was not at home, wasn't searching. It was in here when I just stopped for a second and said, okay, what is it you need right now? Mm. I need home. And that was a great ending. Now at that moment, was that intuition, that intuitive knowing home already, like you've been working on it or was it really the first time that you felt this, like, whoa, what is this? ability to have. I think we all have intuition. We all do. Now, whether we listen to it, heed it, and understand it, that's the kind of a conversation. But I know I, in that moment, I don't think it was my intuition. I think it was an overwhelming feeling. It wasn't like I was thinking, where would everybody be? Oh, they must be back at the camp. I was like ready to go off into the desert, into the playa in the middle of the sandstorm to find them because I was lost at that point, spiritually and physically. As, no, I absolutely believe I was given a message, a sign. Something told me to do that. Mm. I think this is a good segue because I know that a lot of people, are uh, you know, checking in on this particular show, this particular episode, are interested in, in your story. In your book, you hinted at it a few times that a lot of times you just follow in your intuition, that voice, that inner voice, as you were developing Pictionary. Right. So, but when I read it, it's, it's like a Cinderella story. It, 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 it sounded like, yeah, I was just open. I trusted. I had a vision that I did it. 
in spite of all of the challenges that I face. So if you don't mind going back to the moments where you really had to dig inward to listen to that inner voice when the external are chaotic, crazy, uncertain. Tell that story a bit, because otherwise it's a little bit unrelatable to people who, who are just reading the book. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, following my intuition, when the whole thing got started with me panicking, this wasn't just coming up with an idea and let's make some games and sell some games. It was, I was overwhelmed when I got started. I thought, okay, I'm going to make a game. I'm going to do this. This wide-eyed, yes, I'm 24, 25 years old. I can do it. But then as soon as I started or even tried to start, I got inside my own head. I started overthinking everything. I started labeling myself. I was just a waiting, I was a waiting table. I'm just a waiter. I can't do it. And so it was debilitating. And it was like two years to get over this feeling that I was inadequate, that I didn't have the skills, that, that it wasn't going to work. And so finally, when I got started, I took a little step and it worked. So I took another little step. I started making the word list out of the dictionary. But it was, it took me two years to actually get started. And then there was times along the way, I hired a friend as a business partner. My intuition told me it wasn't right, but I was desperate and I didn't listen to myself, basically. And fortunately, it didn't work out with him. I still a great friend, good guy, but nothing's linear. Nothing goes in a straight line. And as I joke, it wouldn't be any fun if there wasn't any problems. It wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't be worth it if there wasn't any mm -hmm. angst. Because you know, you know who you are, who your friends are, really what you are made of when shit goes bad. Mm -hmm. It's easy to plug along and okay, this happened. But when the chips are down or you're confused or you really don't know what to do, that's when your intuition takes over. And that's when I found out. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually perfect. That, that's actually a great. There's a phrase that I really take to heart. Adversity reveals who we are. Our light and as well as our shadow. So a lot of people are really challenged right now during the economic state, doing COVID, doing whatever geopolitical situation that's happening in their part of town. But I say it's beautiful. It's a forcing function for us to see what we're made of. Just one more unfortunate situation that we have to deal with. And we have to deal individually and collectively or uh, we're doomed. So I appreciate you saying that you essentially, you, what I heard you say is you chunk it down inside of this big thing that you had to do. You chunk it down to the smallest, the simplest, the easiest micro steps that you could take. And for you, taking that single step of coming up with a word list essentially transcended your identity from a wannabe to someone who was a game inventory. That was the whole thing. When I was overwhelmed and it was regularly when I got started, I had to break it down, as you say, into its smallest step. And that was the word list. That was the easiest and the most accessible first step because everything I needed was in front of me. Because instead of overthinking, oh my gosh, how do I get started? I had a paper, dictionary, and a pen right in my house. So I didn't have to overthink that and also what I did, or I should say didn't do, is I didn't write out all the steps necessary 
to, to get from creation to an actual product because even that would have been too much for me. So instead of even, I broke it down, but I just took that step and I got started. I didn't start thinking of all the other steps because I kept present, I kept my head down. I kept in the moment of making the word list. So I took all these things, went in the backyard and I opened up the dictionary. And first word on the first page that made sense to me for the game was aardvark. So I wrote down the word aardvark. Now, writing down a word doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was a big deal. Picture I didn't start with an idea. I started with writing down the one word because I was stuck. So I wrote down the word aardvark, and I got excited. I'm literally breaking into a cold sweat. I'm running around the yard. I go, I got started. It took me two years to write down that one word. But the switch, as you say, was a no longer was I a waiter because I was waiting tables. A mindset, the mind shift was I was a game inventor. That was the mind shift. It all was writing down that one word. So it took two years to get to Aardvark. It took about 60 seconds to get to Abacus, which was the second mm. word. Mm. So it started snowballing. And it's the same thing in life. Once you start trying something, whatever it is, whether it's business or spirituality or whatever, they take it started. But once you do, things start snowballing. Things start accumulating. And, and it just starts getting easier and easier to keep moving forward. And that's mm. what well, let me actually do a counter argument in a bit. So I'm going to push on that a bit, right? So I love on this podcast, we love the yin yang sign quite a lot because I just think this is a beautiful symbol of life, of this polarity we call life. Sure. The yang is all about intentionality, do it, being in action, my idea, sovereignty, manifesting in the world. The yin is about surrendering, flow, just riding the wave, so to speak, right? So what you just share is a very uh, masculine approach, like taking action. And some people on the flip side would say, hey, during those times, you want to be quiet and unstable so that you can actually hear the inner voice that we had talked about earlier. Sure. What would you say to that side from the people who believe that may not necessarily be better to take an action, we may be better to just be still and listen for this inner voice within i have no problem with either and the way you're describing it is that it's an intentional listening to your inner voice well i was doing that without knowing it right back then i was 26 24 and i didn't know what that was but i had to have been doing it so there was a, a lead up to that it wasn't just one day and i'm going okay I'm going to take action. <laughs> you know, clearly, it was like getting the yang both were working on me for a couple of years. All right, right, right. And so, no, I completely agree. And now that I'm a little older, a little wiser, I totally get it. And quite honestly, now I do take a little longer. Now I do go in longer. I do pay attention more to my inner voice. I do pay more attention to what's going on before I start taking action. It is a lot more intentional because, man, I was 20, 26 years old. I had nothing to lose. I got started. If it didn't work, I'd do something else. Both sides are relevant and prevalent in every decision. Because if you don't take action, it doesn't matter. Your kids are in about 26, about that range when you started? Before 26. Okay, great. So 
knowing what you know now, I'm jumping a bit, but knowing what you know now is you what you're 62. You just had your birthday. Happy birthday. birthday. Knowing what you know now at 62, what would you say to your kids, your younger self, who is at their 26, 27-ish, that area? What three nuggets of wisdom would you give them? If you can give them just perfectly <laughs> handed to them. Be self-centered. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking in words that they would get, but it's self-centered. That word's been hijacked. It means negative. It means you're all about yourself. I True, you need to be about yourself. You need to be heart-centered before you can go succeed, before you can go do a lot of other things. Life gets in the way. You still have things to do and responsibilities. But when you're heart-centered, that's when things uh, start to flow. To be passionate about what you do. But to get there, I tell them they've got to do a lot of different things. You don't know what you're really passionate about. Most of us don't wake up. I didn't wake up one day. I go, I'm passionate about Pictionary. You know, I'm passionate about philanthropy. Uh, for me, they were just going down like the aardvark, a lot of different steps to find out what I was passionate about. And it was never just one thing. And so I would tell them to keep going down a lot of different paths to find your passion. And the yang to that is, the yang to that is, if it's not working, it's okay to admit it's not working and turn around and go a different direction. Sometimes I see the kids, they push and push to go down a certain path and that's okay. But at some point, if it's not working, the other advice is do what's making you happy. And if that's not turn around, try something else. And what was the third? To, to turn around, to turn around and try something else. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to drill in on is your passion. And I wanted to unpack that word a bit because passion, a lot of people feel like it's like fire that's just undis like you can't distinguish it. It's, right. it's always there. No amount of external hurricane will actually, you know, this, you know, extinguish it altogether. What's your definition of passion? Because from reading your book, listening to your podcast, I get a sense that you're really hungry for life. Hence why this, this desire for the adventures, hence why you're not quite retired, just hanging out and you know, playing golf somewhere and just like, I'm done guys. It's been great. You're right. That's not you. So I really feel your passion. Can you go into one? What's your definition of passion? Let's start there. Passion is something that ignites a fire and a feeling within you. And it doesn't come for me. It doesn't just come from. I see a business opportunity and I'm going to be passionate about it. I see a woman I'm going to be passionate about. It takes a little bit of warm up, takes a little bit of time. So for me, passion is the igniter for that. And then eventually, for me, passion kind of fades sometimes. There's some days where you don't like your mate. There's some days where your business sucks and you don't want to wake up in the morning. Some days you're not passionate about what you're learning. And so, that's okay because that's how it is. But when the passion turns to love, when the passion turns to this feeling inside and out, I mean, passion is excitable, but when it starts becoming part of your DNA and you start loving what you're doing, that's when you keep going. That's when I was standing at the bottom of an escalator at Nordstrom with a pencil for 16 hours a day. My passion was gone. I was tired. 
I don't want to do it anymore. But I love my partners. I love picture. I love what I was trying to accomplish. I loved our mission. And so it kept me going. Then that would reignite my passion to go stand at the bottom of the escalator. So passion is all consuming to get started, but you need a little more than that to keep the, the, the fires burning. So the way I'm, the, when you are describing it, what I'm envisioning in my mind is concentric circle. Hmm. And the highest level or the most superficial level, you have curiosity and then interest and then passion and then love. And then at the core of it, in my mind, is purpose. Hmm. And the more superficial aspect of it is sometimes you may not feel so positive towards this thing that you're doing, but you're on purpose, that you're committed to this love that you have. So if you don't mind going into it a bit, because I would say, would you say... Pictionary is accidental or was it cultivated that you just cultivate this love for Pictionary? Oh, totally cultivated. I didn't know I was going to love Pictionary, be passionate about Pictionary until a year or two into the process. So during the word list, eh, was I passionate? No. Was I passionate about the word list? Sure. Was I passionate about Pictionary as a vehicle for my life or for what I was going to do, I should say? No. But with each passing steps, the wordless, then I got partners. And then about a year and some months after the game was physically produced by my hands and it was in my hands, I put all those pieces together in that game. And so when I physically had it, there was another switch that was flipped in my brain and my heart. I'm like, holy moly, this is real. It's no longer this nebulous idea that people are going to draw pictures on a pad of paper. And so now I'm going, okay. So when I started selling Pictionary as an experience, it wasn't a game, it was an experience. That's why it, the brand, what it was, that's why it kept selling. It wasn't just a game, it was an experience. But once I started feeling that experience myself, it started growing into passion. It started growing into love. It started growing into my life's work. I was like a lot of entrepreneurs, 16 hours, 20 hours a day, because I wanted that thing to succeed. I wanted to succeed. I wanted the darn thing out in the universe. I wanted people to play this thing. And that's what was driving me. We didn't make any money for a long time. So it was never the money that was driving this machine. Eventually, yeah, you've got to, you know, monetize and make money, certainly. But to begin with, it was just about sharing this experience with as many people as I could. Mm. And when I saw that and the people started telling me these stories over and over, how their life was influenced or changed by this silly little stupid ass game that I invented, that was powerful too. Mm. So influence on people was amazing. So if I'm here, let me see if I can recreate what you just said. One, it became a child when you saw an idea into a physical manifestation or something. So that was a pivotal moment. Another pivotal moment is you start to also experience firsthand for yourself, as well as with your friends, the, the beautiful quote unquote transformation or the product. So that's another pivotal moment. Another pivotal moment is you start to hear this brand child of yours making a difference in other people's lives, bringing family together, cultivating friendships and all that. So that's another pivotal moment. Is that accurate? I want to make sure I'm hearing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, as I said earlier, everything in life, let alone Pictionary or what we're talking about, 
It's just builds. Everything just builds until it doesn't. But in this case, it just kept building. And there's many pivotal moments, not only in the game, but in life. And they just kept happening. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, let's put a different hat on, right? You, you were selling this product for $30 a pop. Yep. And you make maybe $300 a day in you know, nine units in the early days. That was a good day. I remember you mentioned that in your, in your book, but at the same time, you weren't, you weren't also making a full-time income there yet. So tell us a little bit about how did you know that this was the thing that you want to double down on, triple down on, quadruple down on, and you just say, I'm going to do this, even though there's no external feedback loop such that I can continue to do this to feed myself, my family, my partners, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, there was, I think just a lot of it is faith that it's going to work out. When I was young enough where I could just keep going, like I said to my kids, i just keep going until I couldn't go anymore. And I just had faith that it was going to work out. And I wasn't willing to quit until the universe told me that it was time to quit. And just with each step, but as you say, as you say, I'd stand at the bottom of the escalator at Nordstrom, 12 hours. I sold three games one day. That's uh, 90 bucks total. Right. For me, it's only 45 bucks. Wholesale price was 15. Mm -hmm. Man, that's a big day. From a thousand selling three games, man. That was very cool. Then I figured out how to sell more. I mean, I learned. Right. Now I got to figure out more. So I had to switch my marketing tactics. That's from a business standpoint, nothing static. While my mission didn't change of people enjoying the game, the game had to remain true to itself and that people would enjoy it. But some of the mechanics could change. And we, we changed the marketing from, or the crux of the game from a guessing game, excuse me, from a drawing game to a guessing game. People are just more comfortable guessing than drawing. And I figured that out. So the next day, instead of three, I sold nine. So yeah, just adapting as I went along with each roadblock or with each little uh, little problem. So what I'm hearing, you didn't say this in your book or in this conversation, but what I'm hearing is if I can sell three, I can sell nine. There's a belief there. Oh, absolutely. If I can sell one, I can sell a million. Oh, wait, but the, hold on. That's a pretty big jump, though. If I can sell one, I can sell a million. Did you uh, actually believe that you can, you can sell one, you can sell a million at that point? Hell no. <laughs> in that moment, man, we only had a thousand games. In that moment, when I sold six the next time, okay, okay, that's going to build now maybe 10. Yeah, incrementally, they were not big numbers. I remember getting an order for 12 games. In one order, we sold 38 million when I owned it, but I can remember that 12 or that 12 game order, those little numbers, those little sales, the standing about the escalator, those were so much fun to me. Those are the best times. the not knowing. Do you, do you, looking back at 62, do you miss those early days where you saw the incremental numbers go up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the most fun. I never wanted to be a businessman a game creator, a marketer, a salesman. That's where my life led. So for about five years when we launched or just before we launched, uh, we were still in that mode of creating and branding and marketing and selling and, and doing all those, those things that I loved to do. And those days were magical, absolutely magical. It just nourished my soul. Sometimes it fed my ego, sure. 
but it fed everything that I loved about this product, this project, my partner's Pictionary. I just couldn't be, couldn't have been more happy, more fulfilled. Mm. I want to underline something that you just said. A lot of times, because we, on this show, we talk a lot about purpose, a lot passion peripherally as well. A lot of people go around chasing a, a singular purpose or a singular passion because they feel like they have to go from not knowing to this burning fire, like giant leap, right? But what you just illustrated is you were essentially pulling this thread of curiosity, interest, like it's an escalated approach rather than I got to find a singular purpose or singular passion in a single bound. Is that correct? What would you say to the people who are looking desperately for that singular purpose or singular passion? What would you say to them? Oh, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard finding a purpose. Everybody tells you have to have one. But does that mean you have to forego all your other loves and hobbies and other passions to find your purpose? I've been going down that rabbit hole myself, for sure. It's after I sold Pictionary in 2001. My purpose was my kids and philanthropy and nonprofits and all these, these things that totally nourished my soul, totally made me happy. But eventually the kids, you know, grew up and stopped coming home. And the, the land profit closed down in a positive way. I sold my house, blah, blah, blah. And so I spent a fair amount of time trying to find my purpose. I was ground haughty, looking around. Where is it? Where's my purpose? I don't know. I couldn't find it. And I was getting frustrated because I think I was told or I read a book somewhere that said I had to find my purpose. And so I want to find my purpose. It's not all consuming like it used to be. And as you say, I just get curious and I think my purpose will find me. And to that point, I really believe that Pictionary was not my purpose. I don't think my purpose in life, it took me a while to understand that one. That was that real confusion of is really, this is it. This is my only contribution to humanity. And it's great. Make no mistake. I love and appreciate it what happened and what I accomplished. But I never assumed or even hoped for a second that all there is Pictionary. So I know there's more. And I think Pictionary, all the the security that is given me is just the step to whatever it is I'm either supposed to do next, will do next, or will accomplish next. And I'm not going to forego Pictionary or the philanthropy. Anything I've done, I'm not going to say that wasn't great. So I love that. Yeah. But but what's next is, is those are all stones, stepping stones to get there. And that took a long time for me to understand. Okay, great. Let's actually go there right now. So one of the things that I share on my podcast is this uh, entrepreneur journey, right? In the beginning, you're, you know, bright eye, bushy tail, hopeful, and then you get good at it, get good at it. And then you have this egoic self-expression nothing I do is wrong. And then at some point you achieve everything you want and then you get to the trough of disillusionment. Is there all there is? What's the point of having all these accolades? Why? 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 Right. And at, but at some point you uh, get through this journey of enlightenment, you get out of it, come to realize, Hey, that's great. 
and this is great. And what's next for, for me? So it sounded like you actually went through that process a bit. Could you, so for someone who is going through this trough of disillusionment right now, due to COVID, due to the economy, due to, you know, business disruption, due to all these things, right? They're at the trough of disillusionment right. and it's painful. And a lot of people may not be able to relate because most people don't want to talk about this trough of disillusionment. What would you say to that person listening right now? Well, I guess it's normal. COVID notwithstanding, there are going to be troughs. So don't beat yourself up over that it's happening. I tend to internalize and say, this is happening to me and this is terrible and it's this existential threat and everything that's happening as the expression goes to me not for me and so it's hard to do and with a little work that i've done and obviously ck and others it's this is all happening for a reason and tell yourself it's happening for me instead of playing almost said the victim that's too dramatic i apologize for that but know that it's going to get better. You're going to get better. Two, I think just keep plugging away. You got to keep moving forward. And that's where this whole open and this whole curiosity that I have. If you're if something is not working or you're trying something, take a little break. Watch a little television. Go for a little walk. You got to get out of your own head sometimes. If I get, if I'm in my own head, you know, I'm in those troughs as well. And when it happens, I have a hard time getting out. I don't, sometimes I just don't have the mental strength or even the tools to always get out. And so when I do, I just have to get away, break it up, uh, even if it's sitting on the couch for a day. Normally you could go for a walk, bike ride, whatever it works, read a book. Not to stress that it's going to be forever. This is not your life. This is not your life. What do you mean by that? Not your life? Oh, if you're in the trough. Right? There's more to life. It's, lives are peaks and valleys. Oh, I see. This singular thing that you're having trouble with is not the only thing. That's what you mean? When you're in a trough, whether it's just COVID sitting at home or spiritual trough, it's all peaks and valleys. It's all learning. It's all growing. And then when you get to the top, oh, wait a minute. Now you go back down sometimes. So you try to stay up there, let's be honest. But it's managing those peaks and valleys that helps. The middle part, you know, we can do that all day long. It's not only just the the valleys. It's if things are going really well, don't get too comfortable. Embrace it, love it, go with it as much hard as fast as you can. But I think you may know in the end, just what goes up comes down. It's just a matter of how far and managing that. And when you're more enlightened, you'll stay up longer. And I'm still working and getting, <laughs> I'm still working on getting up there and staying up there for a little longer. And I'm, yeah. We've been at this for about seven years, so I'm trying. Would you say that, let's talk about your kids again, because they're easy targets right now. <laughs> Would you say that they have to go through that trough a few times for them to say, wow, my dad was really wise to tell me up the ups and the downs are all part of life. It's all beautiful. All the way up, all the way down, all the way up, all the way down. Do you have kids? I don't have any kids yet. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> uh, why that was such an intellectual question <laughs> for a question that 
Yeah. Good luck on that. Okay. Yeah. I think, yes, long term, definitely. But they could take little bits and pieces. I send them a little podcast periodically or send them a little note. But they, like you and me, we all just do it on our own time. I was 55-ish, something like that, when I decided it was time. I wasn't happy. It was time for me to get started. For my kids, they're, they're 24 and 26. I think they're picking up what I'm putting down. I think they're understanding. But when they start using it and knowing that it's had an influence, who knows? Hopefully not. They won't take that long. Down again. As a parent, you'll see them say something. You'll go, they yeah. learned it from yeah. me. I mean, it's yeah. a big deal. You know, you want to some credit. Yeah. That was me. That's yeah. it. But I do, of course. But it's good to know they're paying attention. Now, whether or not we're not getting into these intellectual conversations about this, about the journey or not, but absolutely they're learning when and how they start their own way. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, not a parent, so I don't want to get into a theoretical conversation about parenting per se. But I, so let's focus on the individual. One of the reasons why I love Burning Man or boxing or ice bath or ayahuasca ceremonies mm -hmm. is that it's a safe container, but it's very challenging physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Oh, so yeah. that truth gets revealed to me, to me, not necessarily externally told by someone else because someone else tells me the ego goes against ego. They're like, who are you to tell me this? But when I'm in those immersive experience, then I get to realize something about myself. I'm curious to know for you, given that your love adventure, love the experience of being alive, how are you using those kind of experiences as a way to discover for yourself your own truth, your own purpose, your own passion, your own self-expression? Right. A lot of it, I'm, I'm giving myself permission to explore. Burning Man, when I went, I gave myself permission to go and be out there, take some hallucinogenics, to just be different, to be not even something I'm not, just something I pretty much always wanted to be, always felt, and didn't give myself permission to give it a try. And as you say, it's that contained unit of almost security that you can't go too far off the rails. But with each of these experiences, whether it's ayahuasca or mushrooms or Burning Man or going to Bali or whatever. I don't think there's any one thing or experience or teacher or anything that is going to be fix everything or get you enlightened or, oh my God, I get it now. Just when you think you get it, they pull the rug out from under you. You have to go do it again. Come on. So it's the, it's all those experiences that I have. And they don't have to be spiritual. They could just be meeting somebody on the street, for goodness sakes. But they all add up to who you are, who you want to be, what experiences, you, what spirituality you want to have, and what, what heart-centered person you are and that you're going to let out and be. So they're all just, as I call them, arrows in my quiver to see what's going to happen. And it wouldn't be any fun if I knew anyway. I like the exploring. I don't really want the answer anymore. Still using spiritual journey, these passion or purpose, these are very meta words. Do you mind defining what they mean 
for you in terms of spiritual journey? Because I know that's something that you're exploring right now. How would you define the word or the phrase spiritual journey for you? I, I hate the word. <laughs> you hate it? I hate it. Okay. And when I started my spiritual journey, okay, I probably didn't start at first because my interpretation of the word spiritual journey was I'm going to find uh, spirit, I'm going to find God, all these things. That's not it at all. So I just call it a journey, a personal a journey. journey. Okay. Yeah, it's just a journey. What's the journey? Oh, <laughs> the journey to be happy. The journey to find out what makes me tick. The journey to be comfortable with myself. There's a hundred different journeys, all leading to me. It's all just being happy, just being out of that term. I'll be comfortable in, in my own skin and, and just waking up every day excited and charged and ready to go. doesn't matter what it is. And so a journey, by definition, a journey, it doesn't end by definition. And so uh, I've learned in learning to enjoy the journey more, to enjoy all these things. Because, again, I, I, I don't even say started late, but I, I get inside my own head still. A lot of work being in there sometimes. And the, the, the terminology, what did somebody call it? He goes, he calls it frog because he hates the term as well. F-R-O-G. That's how goofy it is, right? F-R-O-G. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go frog today. Okay. And, you know, it sounds stupid. It sounds goofy. But it's, for him, it's just easy to go, okay. You don't know, use any word. So, yeah, any word at all. And when I talk to my friends who aren't trying, I want to use the word enlightened, who are not even interested, I talk about simple things and their eyes glass over in their head. And so I still talk a little bit, but being around like-minded people helps. And I learn. I'm just, from just this conversation, you're teaching me a lot. And that's fun as well. Thank you. And that's really the purpose of uh, this podcast. Lao Tzu Jing, Lao Tzu started this phrase. If you can say it, that's not the way. If you can articulate it, that's not the way. So by no means I'm trying to put a limitation on this, this thing we call Tao or the way or spirituality, whatever it is. But by talking about it, I think we deepen our understanding of what it is. So to some of my entrepreneur friends, they say to me, hey, CK, you intellectualize this too much. But to me, this is where the juice is. Because I want to make sure that I enjoy this moment and bring back a little bit of the people who are searching for a singular purpose. Yeah. What I'll say to them is, you're actually not looking for a singular word that encompasses your entire being. What you're looking for is a sensibility and an experience. The experience of purpose for you. That's what you're looking for, not necessarily a singular title or phrase. What would well, you say that? When you, when you say that, what I just said was when I talk in terms of, of frog, of journey, that their eyes glass over. So do you think that you, or do you think they think you over, or not simplify it, complicate it? Because I totally understand what you said. I completely agree with what you said. But if people aren't wanting to hear from you or me or somebody else, that terminology or that phrase, do you think it's 
Do you think it's helping? I don't mean that sarcastically. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the jostling back and forth because this is where having a conversation. But here's what I'll say. I'm not trying to teach them anything, really. I used to when I was younger, for sure. But I soon learned they don't want to learn from someone who's trying to impose their thoughts on them. I'll just meet them where they're at. If I drop something and they like it, then we can have, actually have a conversation about it. Great. If they don't pick it up, great. I'm not going to try to impose my own curiosity on them. I, I, I wouldn't think you would at all. Uh, yeah, trying to almost dumb down the conversation. But you got to do it. You can't not say something. Yeah, to me, it's a fine balance, right? Because I actually have feedback from part of my family in laws. And it's like, oh my God, it's so intense talking to you because I'm so curious, right? <laughs> so I have to learn to scale back a little bit. Sometimes they just want to have a beer. And yeah, want exactly. They don't want to have life's meaning type conversations. <laughs> I'm thinking about you, me, and you. Sometimes, oops, sometimes I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to learn. I don't want to grow. I just want to. I don't know, have a beer and see what's going on. That That's actually one of the reasons why I, I love our, our men's group, our men's community, um, because there are times we're just shooting shit and just having a good time, poking fun of each other, and it's all good. I think we need that sometimes. And, oh. and now actually, I will say one more thing too. For the people who may be at the trough of disillusionment, be involved in a community that loves and accepts really gets you that experience. What, what would you say to that? First of all, let's come up with another word. Okay. For, uh, for trough of disillusionment. Okay. I, I hear that and I'm depressed. <laughs> okay. Too <laughs> depressing. Okay. If you say, Rob, when you're in the trough of disillusionment, I'm thinking, hell, damn fire, the world came to an end, every volcano just came on top of me, and okay. I'm getting up. Okay. Work on a new term. When shit's not going well. Okay. How's that? Maybe, but, but, I, but he, he, here's the challenge that I have there, right? Because for the, let's say, a lot of people that I encounter, their life is actually really good externally. Is right. that pain, soul, that empty, the void, that's where they, they couldn't fill it ex by external things. Sure. So it's not necessarily things are not going well. Things are maybe doing really well. They just sold a company or got married, but they didn't quite experience the satisfaction that they want. That's because they started out figuring out what success was and they articulated and they figured out their own head but they didn't really mean it. Success is selling my company. Success is getting married. Success is having kids. When you start putting those restrictions, those expectations on your success, I sold the company, then you get back to the now ones. So yeah, so this, this outward or getting your satisfaction and your self-worth from and success from things outside of you, we both know that's, you gotta go through it, then you gotta work past it. Yeah, it's a tunnel with no cheese in the end from personal experience. So by no means I'm judging. It's just something that I've tried and it's not worth it anymore for me. Yeah, no matter what we're talking and how we're talking, I never ever get the sense. We've had a few conversations on the phone. You don't judge, that's the whole thing, right? You're just speaking your truth. It doesn't change who you are and who you're coming across. And I think that's great.
that's clearly why you're doing this as well. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Let's change conversation a bit. Let's talk, talk about community a, a bit. So you're someone who loves the experience of being alive. You're someone who loves adventures. You're someone who is very generous. You're someone who is a deep thinker. Where do you find your peer groups? That's a good question. I guess just when I'm out as much as I am, I meet people and then if one person resonates, then I find out and I see who they're connected to. Like metal, as you said, we're connected to that. I'm at one Jeff Wagle. He's like 109. <laughs> he goes to Burning Man. I mean, this is connected. Wait, 109 still go to Burning Man? Uh, he's like 80. He's 82 or three. I see. Wow. That's and awesome. He, and he he's a fabulous human being. That's and amazing. Yeah. We camped right near each other last year. And so I met him and he brought me into metal. He said, you should give it a try. And then the peer group, you say the group of guys, yourself included, amazing sense of community. And so I'm in that group. And then there's other people from high school, even the guys that were at the beginning with Pictionary off getting off the couch just after college, they're still part of my uh, peer group. They're my friends. So I have several different groups. I don't like, <laughs> I like a lot of different groups. Just keeps me active, it keeps me engaged and keeps me on my toes. That's for sure. Because mm. sometimes the groups are diametrically opposed, all heart centered, but they just feel and think differently. So that's fun as well, shifting in and out of those. So I want to bring back a little bit to your co-founder dynamics or your executive dynamics with your two other, I don't know, were they co-founders? In the book, the way it's portrayed, you made it look really simple. I just locked out. I trust it just happened. But for most relationships, I don't think that's the case, right? The reality in relationships, everyone goes through the lovey-dovey stage in the honeymoon stage, but everyone also for sure would have conflicts and fights. If you don't mind sharing with us, how did you, what protocols or disciplines or rules that you have such that the co-founders actually fought clean, that you are able to maintain this egolessness with each other rather than ordinary? character attacks totally ordinary when i was looking for when i was looking for partners i was looking for three things one skill sets that i didn't have sell marketing i don't want to run the business i don't want to do that so i needed that I needed a graphic artist so i needed people that had my skill set different skill sets too i needed them to to buy into the vision of picture and that's a big key they didn't buy into me. They bought into my energy, bought into my energy, but then they saw the game and they bought into the vision of what picture it was. And three, and the intangible, most important, was a sense of shared core values. That was incredibly important, and I knew that when we met. And the word for us was integrity. We had integrity, and so when the shit hit the fan, we knew we had each other's back, and we learned as you say, very early on in the beginning, Gary, the graphic artist, designed a package. And it was a blue box and it had salmon lettering with the word Pictionary. And okay, that's great. Terry, the CPA, the, 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 the you know, CEO, yes, go do a press check, was basically to make sure the printer does the job correctly. 
the game comes back from the printer and it's not pink anymore. It's white. It's white. Gary goes, the graphic artist goes, he flipped his leg. This was my product. I was the one who did this. I spent weeks and months developing this and you screwed it up. You SOB. And Terry's going, well, I think it looks better. And of course I'm going, I think it looks better too. I'll let them fight it out. And so they're going at it. It was like crazy how much they're fighting. So finally Terry says, take your fucking ego out of this conversation and look at the product. Is it better or not? Fine. Take a while to come down. Gary, his life's work, his work. He looks at it and it's better. And he agreed. It looks better. And so instead of continuing to fight, he looks at it. That was the end of it. He knew that from then on, we all knew we were going to get in arguments and fights over business. It was always going to be about Pictionary, nothing personal. There was personality conflicts, of course. We would take it offline, if you will. Uh, but as far as the business went, as soon as we took our ego out of it, um, instead of, I've got to be right, once we took that out, we did it. It worked really well until, I don't know, four, eight, nine years into the process, I started suffering from depression, very bad depression. And so my modus operandi is I hit the golden rule in the ass and I made everything. Before you, sorry, Rob, let's come back to that a bit. But I want to underline this. Co-founders have parted ways for something even smaller than say color of a font or something like that. It's not the thing, but it's how you resolve the conflict. It's easy to say, let's be egoless. Let's just, you know, focus on the business, but that's so easy to say. It's so difficult to do. How did you guys do that? There's only three of us. That was it. We sold biggest selling game in the world for 10 years. We only had two employees. So we managed to keep the connection together, but we always just put the silly game first. I know it sounds simple, but that's really what it was because we wanted to maximize profits. We wanted to make run this ball out as long as we could turned into 17 years total. And so when those arguments came up and yeah, I'd like to make it all Pollyanna thing. We never got in arguments and you're an asshole. No, you're an asshole. Of course those happen, but they didn't linger. Once you said your piece, fine. God, you got it off your chest. It went away. We didn't linger. And there's nothing more liberating. Like when you're in a business relationship, a personal relationship, a friendship relationship, when you get in a fight and six weeks later, whatever you're fighting about comes up out of left field. Fuck, I hate that. That's the worst. So when the conflicts come up, Get over it. Say what you got to say. Get over it. Move on. I don't want to hear you. Okay. I don't want to belabor this point a bit, but I, so are there things I, so I'll just give you some examples. Did you guys sit in ayahuasca ceremonies together? Did you like actually have boxing fights as a way to just get it out of the way? What are some of the ritualistic things that you did? Or just as simple as Say everything you want to say now in 15 minutes, you're permitted to say whatever you want, but after 15 minutes, this conversation is over. Are there things like that as a way to really bring it down to tactical things that you guys did? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, 
and you know, look at my eyes, I'm ready to go. I can save the world, I can save myself. Yeah, possibly now that I know what I know, would we gonna ayahuasca or the talking stick or no, let's sit down and talk about our feelings. Yeah, no, I hate to. Uh, okay, it's all good. So let me ask you. It sounds so Pollyanna, but it worked out. And would I have done it differently knowing what I know? Yeah, I think I probably would have. That would have had a different effect. I don't know. It was just about respect. I mean, it's all about respect for each other and our talents and who we are. As Terry said in the book, it was we gave each other the latitude to be who we were. Worse at all, I was a pain in the ass to work. Oh, my God. Moody. Sometimes I didn't show up. Sometimes I didn't get my work done. And But they accepted that, and they sometimes had to work around it, and sometimes they, they didn't work around it, and we got through it. But So so quick question there. Did they know that when they first got involved with you? And, and the reason I ask this question is, is this. Ideally, we want to know what whoever we're in relationship with, they're, they're you know, what at, at their worst. So I could see if I have this space, right, to hold that. If I'm not able to, then it's not a good journey to be on together. Does that make sense? So yeah. did they know that, or did they just find out during the journey and say, okay, I'm willing to continue this journey with Rob? The latter. I mean, I didn't even know that about myself, for goodness sakes. We we're talking about love and passion or passion earlier. All the passion overcomes a lot of ills, mm. matches, a lot of problems. Success mm. matches a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. After you know, a period of time and sales are kind of chugging along and maybe we can take our eye off the ball. Well, I wound up taking my mental eye off myself, let alone my ball, the business ball. And yeah, they... I owe them an amazing debt of gratitude because I went off the rails, but it was a slow burn. And so like, what? slow what? Slow burn. Slow burn. Uh -huh. yeah, I didn't just like wake up one day and go, wow, let's go crazy. So it took a little time, but they were gracious enough. They were gracious enough to understand for whatever reason. Yeah. We sit in each other's offices and complain about the other guy periodically. Of course. So knowing what you know now, because part of your role your identity is you're advising others, your game designers, entrepreneurs who are who look up to you. What's your advice to them in finding a compatible co-founder? And then let me contextualize this question a little bit. I think it's a lot like dating. We go in with the best intentions. We do some maybe interview questions, date, first date, and they're like, oh, it's pretty good. Let's then start a company together but effectively getting married and then you find out later on holy shit there's all these things i didn't know about you blah blah blah. so what would you say to younger founders knowing what you know now about couples dynamics co-founder dynamics about vetting the right co-founder for whoever's listening oh man i think there's tests for this no, I, I, I think you really, I, I, you have to do use three things. And I keep going back to it. Intuition, because you'll never have enough information. Any decision you make, whether it's partners, business, sales, whatever, you'll never wait around for all the, the uh, information. You can get along great with somebody for uh, 20 minutes, 
even a year or two. But then when it goes bad, give yourself a legal out. Make, mm. sure, you have, make sure you have a, a partnership agreement. Mm. Uh, it's nice to have a handshake, but if it goes bad, trying to untangle something is tough. We didn't have one for the first year of our existence. We just couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Just couldn't afford it. But we were men of our words, and we and we uh, lived up to it. So when we could, we got the partnership agreement. Now you got literally there's physical things you can do. If they're young, you can check their Facebook. You can have conversation. I think most people are more aware now of of other people than they used to be. Just make sure they don't have your same skill set. I think you said that earlier. It's the same thing. It's for goodness sakes. Make sure you're compatible. Make sure you are compatible. And then cross your fingers. How's that for a technical term? Thank you. No, that, that's actually really great. I really love that you underlined the clause about the legal out clause. I think uh, it's like a prenup, essentially, right? A prenup, postnup. So that way... You never look at them. You, you're never supposed to look at a contract. You sign it, you put it in the drawer, and hopefully you never bring it out. Mm-hmm. You just leave it in the drawer. But when you need to, mm-hmm. uh, you, you'll get into a he said, she said, kind of mm-hmm. going through one of those with an investment I made. The two owners, exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. friends, not ending that way, and they don't have a partnership agreement. So they're, it's very difficult. Cover yourself legally. That's all this stuff we're talking, all these things we're talking about ego and, and emotion and heart-centered, there's legal things you need to do to protect yourself as well. If you're going to be in business, if you're going to put yourself out there, if you're going to be with other people where there's money involved, where there's business involved, get your trademarks and copyrights, get your partnership agreements, get your buy and sell agreements. You may not need it at first, but eventually you will. So cover yourself. Yeah, for sure. I want to actually add two more things. I think that may be helpful. I actually learned this. Will, the president of Metal, mm-hmm. he said, before I got into any relationship with a woman, in this case, he was talking about romantic relationships. He said to really pay attention to how you feel around them. Do you feel great about yourself? Like, were you being around them? Yeah. Or do they make you feel bad about yourself, right? That's a good indicator of the future to come. So pay attention to that. Absolutely. And that, that's what I say, intuition. But intuition is also a visceral reaction. So it's not just your brain saying, this feels right, this feels good. If they're making you uncomfortable, you'll know. You'll know exactly, as you say, you'll know how you feel. Because do you want to have dinner with them five nights a week? That's a, the same thing. How do you feel? Because you're going to be with them all the time. So mm-hmm. feeling, intuition, do you get breaking a cold sweat? Just mm-hmm. pay attention to physically how you feel or how you're reacting. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And with, with COVID right now, and we're all, all online, it makes it a little more difficult. You know, you're not around each other as often. But... You'll know. You'll know. What, one other thing I want to put in, and this is for me, <clears throat> I think it's important. I want to see them at their worst or when they're really challenged. So I would 
take them to an ayahuasca ceremony or a Spartan race or a co-bath or some kind of a thing such that I can see, oh, okay, here's how they're dealing with external stresses. Right. But that, this, is, this is me and I'm a little bit, well, I, I want to see that. For, so then that way also they see it for, for, for how I react as well. Right. But if you, if, do you think that the Spartan races, for instance, that you'll, have you ever met somebody that you can go with at one of those things? And that, oh, I, I, I can feel this person. I can see this person short circuit and trying to figure it out yourself. Have you seen somebody, met somebody at one of the ayahuasca, Spartan or whatever, that you're like, oh, this person is dealing with this. I like this person because you're doing something together in the first place before you even know them. This is, yeah, it's, oh, we're here together. We have the same likes. It's not just vision and I love the product. It's, oh shit, this person just climbed over that thing. I like that. That person just got hit in the nuts and, oh, they're dealing with it quite well. So you could find, you find yourself meeting people, partners, romantic interests at these things as opposed to manufacturing them. Mm. Yeah. It's like a Venn diagram, right? So ideally you want to find someone that hits everything, but at the same time, also I'm not super attached to what the mechanism may look like. So I appreciate this conversation. Are there other things that you really wanted to talk about that we actually haven't had? I would, we're jumping quite a bit. So are there things that you really want to talk about Rob? Cause I can go on and on about many different things. I want to give you a chance to, to, to drive the conversation a bit. Yeah, I guess I want to talk about some of the control, the nose. Everybody says, you know, you got to say yes. So we had several no's that made our business successful. It's easy to say yes. We had 9,000 9, Pictionary games after our first run. And we're sitting in Seattle, we're in our office, and JC Penny calls. And they want 9,000 games. And so all we had to do was say yes, ship the games, we're sold out, and we're going, okay, this is what we were working for. This was this is the great idea we were trying to get accomplished. But then we started thinking about it. So what if they don't put the games on the shelf? What if they don't pay us on time? What if they decide to send the games back? We don't have control over that. So it's all about control. And so we said no. So I think saying no is hard, much harder than saying yes. But I think the no's get you farther along because it's it's that sacrificing long-term success for short-term gain. I think we all do that instinctively, but putting that, that thought in your head or removing that from your head and looking at the bigger picture, looking down the road, saying no helps. Keep your train on the tracks for sure. There's actually one question I forgot to ask you. So I mean, take a step back a, a little bit and we can go, go back and then zoom in again. So you had talked about following, you know, your curiosity, interest, passion, and then love, right? And at that point, the vision is, gets more and more concrete. The more you invest in, it, the more you see the positive feedback loop and so forth. If you can bring yourself back to the point where the vision was still not that clear, you mm -hmm. can kind of 
feel it within your gut. You're like, there may be something here. My friend and I, we played this charade on paper. It's fun. The vision is still not concretized. What would you say the steps you took to concretize that vision more and more for yourself, first and foremost? Is that another intellectual question to intellectualize? Oh, no, 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 no. My answer may disappoint you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> with all the information that's out there in the universe right now and the internet, people have the ability now to find all the answers they need online. The creativity of it, the open-mindedness of life, the curiosity uh, is, is stifled. And so back then, it wasn't even email when we started this damn thing, that too much information is inhibited. And mm -hmm. so the, what I'm getting at is that question you just asked me, Probably there's a thousand entrepreneurs out there right now writing down these questions. And they're saying, okay, how can I concretize whatever word? Because on Shark Tank, they have all the questions you're supposed to know, all the business answer questions you're supposed to be able to answer. That's bullshit. Somebody's sitting there going, I've got a great idea for a business. Oh, but wait a minute, I've got to answer the shark's answers before I get started. That is debilitating. Mm. Trying to articulate your mission, your vision, your goal, your dream. Get your market plan, your business plan. Where are you going to find your finance? What are you going to sell? How mm -hmm. much are you going to sell it for? I mean, that's just the ice strategy. Yep, all that. Yeah. No, that's the exit strategy. There you go. There, exit strategy. Mm -hmm. That alone is enough to drive somebody crazy. Mm -hmm. Or at least not them. At least not them make the right choices for themselves in the product. But the point is, my God. There's so much information that there's a ton of people out there saying, forget it. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I don't have these answers. So knowing, my kids call this a Rob answer. I could have answered your question like in two sentences, but I tend to do whatever the hell hey, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. That was actually a defensive apology. So I apologize for that. But it's like, there was no definitive answer. And I've always wondered if the internet was alive now, or if I had the access to information, what did that look like? Would Pictionary have happened? Would it have been what it was? And I, I know the answer is no. Mm. I know the answer is no. And not just because of technology. Uh, because? No, because? No, because I would have overthought every goddamn thing just because of the questions you're asking, which, by the way, I love the questions. I love answering the questions. But if you ask me these questions when I was 26, these terms would have been so foreign to me that it would have, it would have thrown, me off, <laughs> thrown me off my game, pun intended. Mm. And so I'm going to go back and and actually watch this podcast because you're asking me questions that are logical. And I know I would like to know for myself so I can tell other people because that's what people want to hear. Use the resources. But at some point, you just got to make the decision, pull the trigger and go for it, whatever it is. Yeah. So there's many different ways I can ground our 
um, podcast to a conclusion. There's a lot of things I want to ask you about identity shifts, right? Who you were then, and then you know, in the middle, and where you are right now, and then what's coming next, and so forth. Different. But I think that would probably be good to leave it until the next conversation. So, Rob, I want to take a few moments to really acknowledge you for what you share on our podcast today. And thank you for the openness that you have. And really, you have no idea who I am, what I'm about. You're just willing to go wherever the conversation goes. And thank you for sharing your story in such a way that it moves people to have them think about, hey, if Rob can do that when he was 26 as a waiter, I could probably do something similar to pursue my dreams, to figure it out, to have faith in myself to pull the curiosity, to gamify, right? To turn it into a game such that I may be one day and be like Rob too. Creating a game, creating a company, creating a life that's worth living and, and really live a life of adventure. So I really acknowledge you for sharing yourself so generously on so many levels, on the tactical, on the strategic, on the uh, mental models, and then really know who you are as a human being. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think you've articulated at the end that whether you follow my example or CK's example, whatever, just have trust in yourself, faith in yourself that you can do it. That's really the bottom line. Pictionary happened for a thousand different reasons. My life has happened for a thousand different reasons, but it's all because I had faith in myself trust in myself that I was going to get it done, that things were going to happen. I was going to make the life I wanted. And that kept me going. And so don't worry about our lives and our examples and who we are because you want to be us. That's bullshit. That's total bullshit. Just be the best version of yourself. And then everything's going to come. You got to do the work. You got to get heart centered because that's when everything flows. And I know it sounds, that's true. I don't care how it sounds, it's true. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna apologize for that. Just, just trust in yourself, believe in yourself, and know you're gonna make the right choices, and then just go do it. Go for it, go just for it. Do it. So those of you who are inspired by Rob's story, I wanna remind you once again, go get Game Changer. It's an oh, inspiring yeah. story. Uh, if you're looking to create a game, if you're interested in uh, entrepreneur biography, if you're interested in something that's a little bit, that covers the tactical, the mental models, as well as the wisdom, go get the book. And Rob has so generously to share with us uh, a two-for-one deal. You want to say something about that? Yeah, I think I know. My, the, the book is the journey, and I just want to get it out there. I just want people to read it, experience it. So if you go to, uh, did, I don't know if you're putting it in the chat, but it's robangel.com backslash double. Robangel.com slash uh, backslash double. I'll send you two books for one. I'm, yeah, I'm just pretty much giving them away to get them out. You can keep one, give one to anybody you think may need it, may want it. Uh, I just want to share the story, share the love, get them out there and hopefully have an influence uh, through the book. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rob.